Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Welcome, welcome show uh, a lot of things going on but thank god we're back and we have a great show lined up for you today just to remind you what we do here at israel unplugged we bring you the unadulterated unadulterated facts of where we are holding in the redemptive process focusing primarily on the ingathering of the exiles no spin no twist just facts on the ground. And uh, as always, we encourage you, we really encourage you to uh, call in. It's a live show. Uh, I actually will talk about this a little later. I met someone when I was on my trip to America who actually listens to our show on a regular basis. And he's he's one of the one of the few people who ever called into our show. So anyway, we'll get to that. You, you can call into our show and the numbers are on the website. If you're in Israel or if you're outside of Israel, there's different numbers. So please make sure to uh, participate in our discussion. Also, I want to remind you that we have myself and Josh Wander, who will be with us very shortly. Uh, we both have very important websites for you to visit. Mine is toratzion.com. That's toratzion, one word, dot com. Ah, Josh is on. I hear Josh. And Josh's website is itstimetoleave.com, where he has some great uh, articles mm-hmm. and videos, etc., etc. So make sure to check out those two websites. On my website, we have all my books. Uh, please um do yourselves a favor and order my books because they are life-changing, literally, especially my first and especially my last, all my books, actually, all my books. But uh, either way, make sure you stay stick with us, and we'll be back in just a few minutes. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hello, I am Walter Bingham. If you want to hear the news behind the news and the true perspective on world affairs, then the Walter Bingham File is the program for you. We bring you interviews with the movers and shakers, political commentaries, and on-the-spot reports of events as they happen. All here every Tuesday, 4 p.m. Israel time, 9 a.m. Eastern time. And it's all archived on our website. Make it a date. Great to be back with you. We missed a few weeks. 
Uh, when Rabbi Yelechman was away and, and Yom Atzma'ut and uh, all the exciting things that have been going on here and around the world that uh, we've been caught up in. And uh, we're back on the air and we're happy to be here because there is a lot to discuss. We are in the midst of, uh, on the back of Yitziat Mitzrayim, of the exodus of Egypt and, and Passover. We've gone into the month of Iyar which has a lot of excitement in modern history when it comes to the independence of the modern state of Israel, when it comes to Jerusalem Day that's coming up shortly. Uh, Hebron Day, I was in Hebron yesterday, and uh, I was blown away. Hebron, for those that have been in Hebron before, has been pretty pretty uh, um, boring as far as the Jewish building is concerned in Hebron. First of all, 98% of the city is... Yudin Rhein is, is is a place that um, Jews are not allowed to go, and uh, the small percentage where Jews are able to go, even if they own land, uh, it has to go through a very long process, uh, a political process through the uh, IDF, through the Ministry of Defense, through the political echelon in order to permit Jews to move into properties. So there has been pretty much a standstill on uh, on property building and move, Jews moving in to the ancient city of Hebron. Um, in Kirat Arba next door, that settlement has been growing, but but the but the area of Hebron has been pretty much uh, at a standstill for for decades. And all of a sudden, I went there yesterday, and it was it was like a different world. Uh, first of all, you see that the the there's building what once was. Um, in the street that the that the Jews know as Tarpat, uh, named after the massacre that happened there in 1929, the Arab massacre that killed 67 Jews and hundreds were wounded. Um, the the Arabs refer to that street as Shahada Street. That is the only street, um, by the way, that Jews are, are are allowed to go on in Hebron today. And on that small street going up the road over there, there there is a, uh, uh, there was. A army base, and that army base has been basically dismantled, and it's being built right in front of the yeshiva Shavei Chavron, a huge uh, project for Jews to live in. I think that they mentioned 16. Is it 16 new apartments over there? Um, and then yesterday, as we were driving in, uh, there was another building that was uh, that was uh, taken over and uh, purchased and, and moved into. Also, I think I, I heard the number 16, I, I, if I'm not mistaken, families moving into that building, which is next to Beit HaShalom, which is another complex on the way down to Hebron, which also was at a standstill for for many, many years. And now I see that they're renovating that entire complex. So it was just nonstop building. As you left the settlement of Kirat Arba and went started going down the street towards Hebron, it was literally nonstop building. So there, there, is, there are things going on. And when there's building in, in the land of Israel, you know that there's things happening both on a physical and a spiritual level. Uh, during the entire period of corona, uh, when everything was at a standstill, uh, the it seemed, at least to me, that the construction industry went into high gear and there was just nonstop building all over the country. It could be that you can give reasons for it that there was people that many people that were unemployed because of Corona, and they they this they found a way to employ them. There are a lot less people on the streets, so maybe it was an opportune time uh, to build uh, in the streets of Jerusalem. But I could tell you that it looked like there was there was just a nonstop building, 
And uh, again, not only a physical level, but on a spiritual level, this is the preparations for the for the for what we expect to happen in the near future uh, when there's going to be a lot more Jews. Half of the Jews that are still stuck in the exile will be coming home, hopefully, and we need a place for them to stay. We need housing. We need, uh, we need uh, proper infrastructure and roads. And uh, it is happening. It's not as happening as quickly as I would like it to happen. But uh, things don't go along according to my plan. They go according to God's plan. Uh, thank exactly. God. And, and uh, therefore, we just have to watch and pray and do whatever we can in order to make the process happen quicker. Yes. And uh, one of the things that I'm trying to do is speak to people, speak to people both in the diaspora and here in Israel. Uh, that's why I was on a trip to America and Canada. Uh, a few weeks ago, uh, the Mizrahi organization sends speakers around the world, to especially to America, to speak in different communities, especially on the Shabbat before Yom Atzma'ut, and also coming up again, the Shabbat before Yom Yerushalayim, Jerusalem Day, and Yom Atzma'ut, of course, is Independence Day. So I was there on the, on the Sabbath before Independence Day, and I was in a community in Brooklyn, New York. People, when I tell them that, I say, what? There's a community in Brooklyn, New York, who would, who would have you speak, who have a, a Mizrahi speaker come and speak about the importance of living in Israel, and uh, the answer is yes, yes. It's not a, it was not a large shul, but it was a beautiful shul, a very nice people, and uh, its name was the uh, Merkaz Israel of Marine Park, and uh, it was a, I had a very beautiful Shabbos there. Uh, very encouraging. Um, there are a lot of people who, theoretically at least, you know, understand, get the message. They understand that this is where this meaning here in, in the land of Israel is where the Jewish people belong. It's definitely um, people's uh, dream, at least in that community. Unfortunately, not everywhere. You know, I have to be realistic and I have to be honest. Uh, you, you go to America and you realize how are these people are from understanding what's going on. I uh, just, just want to mention a little shout out while I was in Marine Park. So uh, I was speaking in the shul and a gentleman came over to me and introduced me, told me his name. His initials are MW. And he said he listens to our show every single week religiously. He listens in general to this radio station, Israel News Talk Radio. And uh, he, he loves the programming and he listens to it to get uh, inspiration about Israel. He is one of those Jews who's basically stuck in, Israel, in, in America. He desperately wants to be here, but circumstances are such that at this, at this point he can't come. So, you know, I guess, uh, well, I guess we're doing something right here, Josh. You know, people actually are listening. He's actually one, uh, one of the people who called in. We haven't had a lot of callers in, but uh, he is one of them. He called in once. And uh, so, you know, we encourage everybody out there who's listening right now to call in and join the conversation with us. We so, actually, I, we got an, I got a message from someone that lives in West Hempstead, New York, uh, regarding my other podcast with Rabbi Kahana. And they wrote in saying that I, they just want to let us know that your podcast with Rabbi has been providing invaluable chizuk, clarity, resolve, 
and encouragement. Since we decided one year ago to make Aliyah, we will be going with our five children in August. Not easy. All of our family and friends are here, but we know it's time. You and Rabbi Kahana, in your unwavering, matter-of-fact way, have fully convinced me, and therefore we are going. Thank you. So wow. we, you never know. It could, you know, Rabbi Rav Nachman Kahana used to, uh, always told us that, uh, you know, if we managed to save one person, then it was really all worth it. So if the, you know, we we've Baruch Hashem, we see we, that our influence, even though it's uh, it's not like again, it's according to God's plan, not ours. But our influence is affecting some, and we hope that it'll affect more. And uh, for everything that you did, Rabbi Lichtman, in America, and continue yep. to do. Yeah, yeah. But I also, uh, this is the season that I go around to all the different yeshivot, you know, the one-year programs here in Israel, the yeshivot, the seminaries, the boys and the girls, and I, and I speak to them about the importance of living here and uh, also uh, offer my books for sale. I just want you to know that uh, book sales are are down. I'm telling you, this generation doesn't buy books. Uh, I'm try, thinking of possibly uh, may, maybe putting my books on a digital format or maybe uh, recorded. I don't know, but it's just people are just they don't people don't buy books anymore. Anyway, so I just want to tell you one one quick thing. Maybe we'll continue discussing it as we uh, in the next segment, but. So one place that I went, I actually wasn't invited to speak. I was invited to sell books. Okay, Nefesh Benefesh had an event on Yom Atzmaut Day, um, where they had different speakers, and they invited a few of the yeshivot to come. And I was there just selling books. I didn't sell very many at all. But this is what I want to tell you, and this is uh, was very upsetting to me. Um, the first speaker actually was Yishai Fleischer. You know him, Josh, right? We all know him. Very He's, good friends. Uh, Correct. He's a diehard, uh, you know, Zionist, and he he's actually the spokesman for uh, the old city, the, the city of Hebron, Jewish Hebron. Um, so he started off by asking, just like seeing in the crowd, how many people you know think that we're living through the times of of the uh, Messiah, or, or he didn't even actually say that because that that already would have been a, a little bit difficult. He said, "Are we living through the ingathering of the exiles?" And almost not a single student of about a hundred students who were sitting in the in the room raised their hands. So that you know what I'm not so shocked about. But then he asked the rabbeim, and one of the rabbeim also hemmed and hawed and said, mm, eh, "Maybe not sure. Thinking about it. Thank God there was one rabbi there who said absolutely." And ever since then, wherever I go to speak, I tell the story and I say, I'm on a mission. I'm on a mission. I cannot believe that there are people out there who don't realize that we're living through the the ingathering of the exiles. I mean, half the Jewish people live here. What do you think this is if not the ingathering of the exiles? Only 100 years ago, only 56,000 Jews lived here. It's absolutely unbelievable. Okay, we're going to have to take a break now. We'll continue this discussion when we get back. Don't go anywhere. Hi, 
everyone. This is Andrea Semento from Jerusalem inviting you to drop everything and join me on my show, Pull Up a Chair. We'll visit this week's quirky stories, meet fabulous guests, and discover my Israel. Together we'll laugh, shout, and explain the topics that make us say, hey, we've got to talk about that. So get comfortable and pull up a chair with me, Andrea Semento, every Thursday on Israel News Talk Radio. seriously, that we are living uh, through the ingathering of the exiles. I'm not going to deny that there's a lot, we have a lot more to go for the redemption to be complete, but uh, to deny that the Jewish people are being gathered in from the four corners of the earth as God promised us very clearly in the Tanakh, in the Bible, is just mind-boggling to me. How could anybody deny absolute fact. So I, I always, when I give this sheer, I give a, a class on the importance, on, on the fact that, you know, Kibbutz Goliath is happening. And I bring scriptural sources and proofs from various different commentators, etc. But I always start off by saying, I actually feel silly proving, trying to prove from sources that we're living through the uh, ingathering of the exiles. Because how could anybody in their right mind not see it? What, what proof does some, someone need? Just look outside your window. Just look in the newspapers and uh, read the statistics. You know, every year around Yom Atzmo time, they, they release the statistics of how many Jews, uh, how many people are living in the state of Israel. So this year we passed the 7 million mark. There's more than 7 million Jews living in the land of Israel. And, and I always point out, well, the problem is that people in this generation think that that's absolutely normal. Of course, Jews live in Israel. Haven't Jews always lived in Israel? And the answer is, yeah, Jews have always lived in Israel. But um, about, you know, you probably could count them on uh, on a few hands, uh, how many Jews lived in Israel throughout the 2,000 years of exile. In fact, 100 years ago, at the time of the Balfour Declaration, there were only 56,000 Jews living in Israel. And that was somewhere in the vicinity of 0.01% of the Jewish people. And now we are 50% a hundred years later. And we're almost, again, we're around the halfway mark of Jewish of, of Jews living in Israel. How can anyone in their right mind deny it? Now, the problem is, and this I point out also, is probably the reason why people deny it or, or at least ignore it. I think it's more just ignoring it. They, they don't want to think about it. It's, it's not it's not an issue. It's it's a non-issue. Why? Because everyone knows that the moment, if I could prove to you that God is bringing back the exiles and the redemptive process is well underway, because as I always point out, the ingathering of the exiles is, contrary to what some people think, a sign of Gula. It is not a sign of Gula. It's not a sign of redemption. It is actually the first stage of redemption. It's clear that way from, the, again, the Tanakh, from the Bible. And it's also clear from the Rambam, the way the Rambam writes. And I'm not going to go into the whole proof. But it is so clear that the, the redemption is well underway. So if people 
for people to admit that means they're also admitting that they are choosing not to go along with the redemption of the Jewish people, to basically sit on the sidelines and be spectators and not become part of the process, basically denying God's hand in history. And and I think people have a hard time with that. So therefore, they just rather deny it or just ignore it as if it's a non-issue. It's not it. You know, this is not this is not it. This can't be it. As one of the places I spoke, so a girl came over to me. I'm talking about here in Israel. A girl came over to me, and uh, she she was so enthusiastic, and she said she's already started reading Ema Banim Smeicha, and you know she said she has a brother who's in a a little bit of a more Haredi black hat yeshiva, and she tried to ask him, you know, why don't you read here? I'll give you a copy of Ema uh, Banim Smeicha. Read it, and he said, no, thank you. Um, and she, she like she was arguing with him, like you know, why don't you, why aren't you willing to to accept this? Because it's, it's, it's secular, because it's secular. That's it. That is the excuse. Because it's, it's written secu- in English. No, besides that, <laughs> no, I'm saying it's a secular, it's a secular state. Since it's a secular state, there's nothing to talk about. But my friends, the fact it. It becoming a religious state and we, the Jewish people, returning to God spiritually is a later stage of the redemption. That's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's actually very clear from Ezekiel chapter 36 or 38. I'm sorry, I don't remember exactly. Uh, It's clear there. It talks about bringing God's going to bring the Jewish people back to the land of Israel. And only then is he going to sprinkle upon them purifying waters. Meaning, and, and, and he's going to change our heart. He's going to remove this heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh and make us, and he says it ex- explicitly there, and he's going to make us keep his Torah and mitzvot, keep his commandments. Meaning God's going to help us, going to bring us back to his ways, but first we have to get here. First we have to pick up and physically be in the land of Israel. Only afterwards will the spiritual redemption happen. So you speak about the explicit, the 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 explicit nature of what is written in Tanakh in the Torah, and how it should be obvious to all. And I've come to the conclusion this week, after a number of different conversations that I had, that the problem, the the essence of the problem is that many Jews, I I I, I would hesitate to even say, maybe the majority of Jews that are uh, uh, living in the exile today do not take the Torah literally. And what do I mean by that? You're talking about religious Jews even? Religi- I'm speaking only religious Jews. If I'm speaking about people that don't believe the Torah is divine, then that's then there's nothing to speak about. I'm speaking about people that should have the the right uh, the right path. They really understand we have a, we have a, a a common language to speak in. And of course they should be taking the Torah literally. But I'll give you an, a great example. Um, I was speaking, I had a, a couple-hour conversation with a head of a religious seminary in Lakewood uh, a couple days ago. And um, she, first of all, she didn't, sort of like your story, uh, that the person that didn't want to read the book, um, at some point she didn't, she couldn't handle what I was saying, and she just basically kept rambling on so I wouldn't be, would, she wouldn't hear what I have to say. Um, because it, it's disturbing. And and my wife says to me, then probably that was exactly what I was, I was doing the right thing, because if I was getting to her, 
then obviously that that you know if, if she just uh, whatever just uh, ignored it that's that's you know there there are some that just ignore it but if 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 it's getting to her and she has to really interrupt and keep keep speaking in order so not to hear what not you're saying or somebody says the east generation to rebuild the temple so josh can i interrupt for a second I sure no i don't know uh, what just happened, but there was about a minute or two that I couldn't hear you, and I think Tamari couldn't hear us either. I'm not sure if the listeners even heard. So could you just repeat what you said in a minute ago that you were talking about this uh, woman who was a head of the seminary, and you uh, you were talking to her, and she was trying to get you off topic, et cetera, et cetera. Can you continue from there? Sure. Basically, she, she wasn't willing to listen to the reality of what's going on, and I think that is the essence of the problem here. The problem is that there are many Jews, religious Jews, that for whatever reasons, you could have mentioned one before, that's a cognitive dissonance, that they do not want to, to, to confront the reality. And therefore, they skew the reality or they pretend that it is not the reality. So I, we mentioned a one, I was speaking to her about one of the commandments, 613 commandments that God gave us in the Torah, one of which is that we need to rebuild the temple. And many of the rabbis say that this is a, a commandment for every generation, for every Jew, to rebuild the temple. And immediately, when I said that, I, I told her that there's a command of Asul Mikdash, her response was, of course, Asul Mikdash, that we have to rebuild the temple. And she responded by saying, I'm going to build a temple in my heart. That's what it means. When it, it doesn't actually mean we're going to rebuild a temple. It means in my heart I'm going to build, rebuild a temple. So I can be in Lakewood and I can rebuild a temple in my heart. I don't need to come to Yerushalayim for that. This, this, is, this is the cognitive dissonance that we're talking about. We're talking about a religious woman, a Rebetzin, a very religious woman, who is not willing to confront the fact that, it could, that, that God wants the Jewish people to be in Israel, and that is the ultimate uh, the ultimate goal of of our redemption and of the the goal of the world. Do you do you know? Did she know who wrote those words? Bill Vavi Mishkan. Right. I didn't even get that far. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Like it was what Rav Hutner, right? No, uh, either Rav. No. Um, I thought it was Rav Cook. No, it's not Rav Cook. It's definitely not Rav Cook. It's someone. Then the tune comes from Rav Cook. It, it's one of them. Maybe the so, the song. I'm pretty sure that's yeah, Rav no. Cook. Anyway, I'm, I'm gonna look it up, but uh, it, it's a very very later. Day. It's definitely so, not from the Somewhere in the last hundred years. <laughs> so yeah, and the pasuk via suli mikdash v'shachanti betocham is actually in the Bible. That was written by God, you know, thirty five hundred years ago or however many. Uh, yeah, so that's a little bit. That's a little bit humorous. But but uh, but this I, I've seen this repeat itself over and over again that people, religious Jews from the, from America, are refusing to recognize what is going on. So when you tell them that they're, don't you see that there's 7 million Jews? There are only 56,000 and now there's 7 million? That doesn't mean anything. That, that, that's, that's, just, uh, that's just hearsay for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The question is, what can we do about it? Is there anything to do about it? Uh, we, I don't know. I don't know. I get very depressed about this uh, at certain times. But uh, you know we have to look for, look at the good and uh, and just pray, pray that uh, everyone will uh, open their eyes and see the truth. Okay, we have to go to a break. We'll be right back. So please stay with us.
Shalom. I'm Leah Aharoni. Join me on my show, News from the Torah. Each Sunday, we'll use the weekly Torah portion as a prism for understanding the news today. Listen to News from the Torah to gain clarity about the times we're living in and to understand your own spiritual path in the process. News from the Torah every Sunday on Israel News Talk Radio. say that not only are there Jews that are around the world that are oblivious to what's going on here in Israel, there are indeed Jews here in Israel that are oblivious to what is going on. And uh, this morning I had the opportunity to be at a, a caucus, a brand new caucus meeting in the Knesset, in which it, the idea was to discuss the idea of victory of, of uh, announcing victory of the Jewish, of creating victory and announcing victory of the Jewish people here in Israel. And it's a problem because some people refuse to see it. They refuse to see who our enemies are and who we have to deal with, you know, who we have to respond to, and how we can finally declare victory. Meaning when we go into battles, different operations, what we used to call wars, uh, with our enemies, uh, whether they be in the Gaza Strip, whether they be in southern Lebanon, whether they be uh, elsewhere, um, at some point we have to realize that this is not something. If if we just keep ignoring, you know, dealing, putting band aids on the on the on the issue, and not finally dealing with the issue, the issue just gets worse and worse. It's like someone who has an infection and and starts to take uh, antibiotics and then stops. And then they, the, the infection just gets worse, and then they take the little antibiotics, and then they stop, and then the infection even gets worse. Um, that's what we're dealing with here. And, and I just wanted to play a short clip of a member of Knesset, Rothman, uh, who was speaking about the caucus, the new caucus that we were at this morning. I participated today in the Victory Project uh, uh, caucus uh, meeting, first meeting in, uh, in the Knesset. Um, I said very simple things. We cannot win. We cannot uh, declare a victory or have a victory if we don't know who is the enemy. Uh, Israel for the past, I have to say, too many years um, said that the enemy is the rockets. Enemy is the terror. Enemy is the, uh, the, the underground tunnels uh, that threaten our borders. That's not the case. We have a national fight. We have a nation that fights against us. It doesn't matter if we talk about, some people will call them Palestinians, some people will, will look at the uh, Arabs uh, uh, in Israel and in Judea and Samaria and in Gaza. It doesn't really matter. We have an enemy. We have to fight against the enemy. Of course, anyone, any person that wants to make peace with us is more than welcome since the founding of the State of Israel. But unless we will call uh, call it by its, name, by its name and say, this is our enemy, we're going to fight and we're going to win, we will never win. Second Amendment advocates in America, they say that guns don't kill, it's the people that kill. 
of course, and that's uh, that's exactly uh, the situation here. We don't have a problem with the rockets of Hamas. We have a problem that Hamas exists. We have a problem that Hamas wants to destroy the state of Israel. And of course, we need to take care of the rockets to defend ourselves. Yes, so that, that that's basically the clip. Um, the, the problem is not the rockets. The problem is not is not the the underground tunnels. The problem is not the fact that we have uh, terror, but it is who is behind the rockets, who is behind the tunnels, who's behind the terror. And until we're willing to address that, confront that, and say this is our enemy, there's no point and there's no time that we can ever get to the fact we can never declare victory. Uh, that was the point of this caucus. We can never declare victory until we recognize who our true enemy is and, and deal with it. Uh, that is for sure. No doubt about it. Um, and it's uh, it's upsetting. But, uh, you know, I always say, you know, I always bring it back to the same point. Um, you know, there are some Jews here who unfortunately still have a galut mentality, still have a... Uh, exile mentality we've been in exile for so many years that's the way you know it, it's always been and that's the way it's going to continue being and they don't understand that uh, the exile is coming to an end and we have to change our our attitude and we have to fight and not be afraid to fight back and not be afraid to win and not be afraid if sometimes some people might get hurt and uh, sometimes it's unfortunate, sometimes it's not unfortunate. Sometimes they deserve to get hurt. <laughs> you know, they're in the line of fire and uh, and they shouldn't be there and they don't love us anyway. Talking about, uh, you know, recent events, the, the one who understands will understand what I'm talking about. Um, so we need more people with a, with a geula mentality, with a redempt, redemptive mentality to come and join us. We just don't have enough here in, in the state of Israel yet. We need your help, diaspora Jews who believe in this, who no longer have the Galut mentality. We need you to come. We need you to come and help us here. Uh, your addition will make a big difference. Okay, so uh, we have just a little bit of time left. Uh, as many of you know, we are this week, we are going to celebrate or I would say better, Mark, the Lagba Omer. I don't know if it's really a celebration. I don't know if it's really, um, you know, with the source of making it into such a humongous celebration and as has been done recently. Uh, it's not so simple. Uh, the Khatam Sofer was very against it. And uh, it's not a simple thing. But it's a, definitely a joyous day to some degree. And it's definitely an important day to some degree. And uh, and therefore we have to uh, discuss it, and uh, especially after what happened last year, I think we have to cut down a little bit on the celebratory part of it, and focus a little bit more on the uh, the message. And uh, as you know, it is the um, it is the Yortzeit, which means the anniversary of the death of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai in Jewish law. In Jewish lore, uh, the day of the death of a great tzaddik is actually, uh, it's not a happy day when he dies, but, you know, in years to come, it is considered a, a time to make what's called a helula, where you talk about his great deeds and you talk about his Torah, what he has taught. And uh, therefore, I want to just share with you one or two 
um, different different teachings of the great Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and especially those that have to do with the land of Israel. So the most famous one, I think, is at the very beginning of the Talmud Bavli, uh, on the fifth page, the fourth page, actually, of uh, of the Talmud Bavli. It says, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai says, that three great gifts were given to the Jewish people, and they were all given only by way of suffering. And they these are them, Torah, the, the Torah, Eretz Yisrael, the land of Israel, and Olam Abba, the world to come. Meaning, Eretz Yisrael is a gift. It's a great gift that Hashem gave us, and we have to accept that gift, because if we don't accept the gift, we are rejecting the gift giver, the one who gave us the gift. Just imagine someone, someone very close to you comes and you know spends a lot of time picking something out and, and, and brings you a birthday present or a whatever present and you just ignore it and you just take it and, and, and say that you don't like it and you don't want it, that would be the biggest affront, the biggest insult to the, to the person who gave it to you and, and I can guarantee you that the, that the, the relationship would, would be very rocky after that if not totally end the, 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 the relationship. So that is why when God decides to give us a gift, we have to take it and we have to show him how appreciative we are of that gift. And that is the gift of Eretz Yisrael and also the gift of Torah. We can't ignore Torah either or Olam Hava, the fact that God gave us the, uh, the ability to go to the next world, which, you know, by way of improving ourselves, that's an important thing also. Um, there's another a uh, very interesting, interesting story in the Midrash, Shemot Rabbah, that says as follows. There was a student of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai who left the land of Israel and went to Chutz Aretz, and he came back, doesn't say how long later, let's say about a year later, he came back and he was filthy rich, really rich. So the Talmidim, the other students of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai were all jealous and they said, we also want to go to Chutz Laaretz. We also want to leave the land of Israel and become rich. Does it sound familiar, Josh? You know, Jews it want sound, to... It sounds familiar. Very familiar, right? Jews, the, uh, money grows on trees in America, right? It's, uh, the, the streets are paved with gold. So anyway, um, so these students wanted to, wanted to do the same thing. So Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai heard about this, and he took them out to a big, big valley, it says Al Pene Maron, means sounds like maybe right near Meron, right? And he davened, he prayed, and the valley began filling up with golden coins. Can you imagine trillions, trillions of golden coins in front of their very eyes? And Rabbi Shimon Bayochai said to them, You see all this gold? Anybody who wants can go and take. But just realize there's a catch to it. If you take if you take now, understand that you're going to be taking your portion in the next world. And this is so important here in our day and age. It's not simple living in Israel, like we said in the first source, right? It's one of those things that is that is a gift that's given to us through suffering. That's just the way it works. We have to work for for the land of Israel. But but it, but its reward is so great in the next world, in Olam Haba. So somebody who wants to stay outside the land of Israel because 
of monetary concerns and he wants to be you know be richer and he knows when he comes to Israel he's going to have um, financial problems he should understand that it's worth it it's worth it to come to Israel because your reward in the next world will be so much greater and any riches that you get outside the land of Israel is just going to take away from your ultimate reward in the next world so that's I think the message that we have to take away with us on Lagba Omer uh, and this and many more such messages of Rabbi Shem Bar Yochai so thank you for being with us today uh, we hope you enjoyed and we will see you again next week same day same channel same time take care If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.